Thank you for listening to a Quiet Church Showmans. This is Jared Sparks, one of the pastors at Christ Church Carbondale. We want to thank you so much for listening, as Ransom said, my son. And we ultimately hope that these are God-honoring. And because they are God-honoring, we hope that they are also edifying and encouraging and, and challenging to you in the best sort of way. Thanks so much for listening. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 through 19. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would not be that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you more the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. This is the word of the Lord. We see hierarchy, authority, and submission everywhere in life. As much as the general public would like to war against authority, submission, and hierarchy, it's everywhere. We see it in every business around this country. We have those that are superiors and those that are are inferiors. And we know that that doesn't mean in personhood. We know that means in authority. There's a boss and then there are those under the authority of the boss. There's a teacher and those that are sitting in the classroom. There is administration and then there are staff. It's everywhere. Authority and submission. I just read a book by Jocko Willink called Extreme Ownership. And it's a leadership book. I generally don't like leadership books because it's the same stuff repackaged a million times and then repackaged again, rewritten again, and it's just generally the exact same stuff. But this book has raving reviews. It's probably the best book on ownership, or excuse me, on uh, leadership that I've read. But throughout the book, it became apparent that the book is just about federal headship, which is a, a covenants. It's about a covenantal head, authority, and that authority taking responsibility for everything that's in their care. So there's, there's authority, headship, And it's about self-control. He calls it extreme ownership, but self-control is about discipline. Discipline equals freedom. What is the last fruit of the Spirit? In the list of fruit of the Spirit is self-control. The book is about authority, submission, headship, self-control. That's what the book's about. And there's rave reviews. So in a world that hates authority and submission, if you repackage it and call it extreme ownership, people are like, oh yeah, that makes sense because everyone knows how the world works. The world cannot function without leaders and subordinates. In fact, in the book, it actually uses the word subordinates. Here's one example. A leader must be close with subordinates, but not too close. That comes from page 276. Everyone knows that authority and submission have to be in place for things to function and for things to operate. Now, leadership books have to be taken with a grain of salt, especially when you're talking about leadership books and trying to translate that into the church. This is a, a common mistake that's seen everywhere, and I've seen it for years, where people take leadership principles or business principles and try to apply that to the church as if it's a one-to-one thing. And it may seem like you're comparing apples with apples, but a business in a church is not like apples and apples. It's like apples and footballs. It's, it's something that's totally different. It's not the same thing. It's categorically something different. But the enemy of our souls wants people to think they're the exact same. 
That's why so often pastoral ministry just gets turned into CEO ministry or X's and O's, and if you'll do this, you'll get this result kind of thing. And so we want to be careful we don't fall into that trap, but we want to think deeply about authority and submission and how God has designed not the business world to look like, but what has God designed this to look like, the body of Christ. Now, in the book of Hebrews, last week we looked at leaders and what leaders are to be like, and we also saw that members are to emulate the leader's faith. They're to emulate that faith. They're to consider the outcome of their life and do everything they can to emulate that. But there's something else, because we look at it today, I just read it, obey your leaders and submit to them. There's something here for both elders when it comes to the area of authority and members when it comes to the area of submission. And so we have to talk about that this morning. What are the responsibilities of church members toward their elders? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We see it in verse 17a. We're going to break down verse 17 into three different parts. First, obey your leaders. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Obey your leaders. It's a really clear command. There's no stuttering in the apostle in the apostle's words or in his writing. He simply says it, obey your leaders and submit to them as those who will have to give an account. Elders have real authority in a local church. Real authority. You can make a couple different errors with this. When you read this passage, elders can hear it and have some sort of power trip. And we've all seen, seen examples like that of, of elders who could not handle power. Or leaders, if you put a different word on it, leaders anywhere in life who couldn't handle power. And they use, use that power instead of to serve, they use that power to abuse. We've all seen it. But the opposite is also the case because leaders have misused power. There's groups of people all over the world and churches who have said, since elders, since I've experienced the abuse of power, I will not submit to any elders. And just because there's been a misuse of the office of elder in a particular church doesn't mean in the future you get to get calloused and cover yourself and make sure that you're not submitting to any leaders. The command is still there. So we can make many different errors with commands like this. But we do need to talk about, when we're talking about real authority from pastors to church members, and we have to keep in mind that every elder of a local church is also a member of that local church, and every elder in that local church also has elders. We have to keep that in mind, that I have elders here, and our elders have elders here, as I am also a member of this local church. But we have to understand that rightly, and we have to understand what kind of authority an elder has. And you need to be responsible as church members to know what kind of authority you're sitting under and what your responsibilities are as members. What are you to obey? If the command is obey your leaders to submit to them, you know what that means? That means obey your leaders and submit to them. And you've got to know what that means. But we've got to first ask, well, okay, what kind of authority is placed in the hands of the elders? Is it control over your life? We really need to know that, and we need to go to the scriptures. And here's what I would suggest to you. If it means control over your life, well then, just like with any command in the scriptures, we should say, okay, yeah, whatever. Whatever God says is good. But as we begin to look at this, we're going to see it doesn't mean control over your life. It doesn't mean taking away your responsibility. It means something entirely different than that. This is not a, this is not a call to elders to have 
complete and supreme authority in the local church. I want to read from Howard Hendricks in his book, Iron Sharpens Iron. And this is a, a really important thing to understand because elders having authority doesn't mean that you're responsible to do whatever we tell you to do. It doesn't mean that I can come to you and say, I need our laundry done and my vehicle washed and I want you to come mow in my yard and I want you to scratch my back right now too. And you've got to obey. When it says obey your leaders and submit to them, the Bible is going to give us some clarity. And as we look at other passages, we're going to see that as well. I want to read this and I think it's quite helpful. The heading of the section is, whose life is it anyways? Hang with me. I think you'll probably, as I'm reading this, you'll probably think either I've experienced this or I know somebody's experienced this kind of control from eldership or some sort of leadership, and this is not right. Okay? Here's what it says. One final test, whether your mentor is exerting too much control over you, is to ask yourself if you can regain control whenever you wish. If you can, you're okay. If you can't, you need to reevaluate the relationship. Here's the case study. When Bill was in college, he had a friend who was participating in a group sponsored by a particular parachurch ministry. One spring break, the group decided to hold a designed evangelistic outreach. As the holiday approached, Bill asked his friend what his plans were. Well, I'd like to go home, the young man said. In fact, I need to go home. Then he described a serious situation that had come up with his family. Bill said, yeah, it does. It sounds like you need to go home. But I don't know if I can, the friend replied, much to Bill's surprise. He then explained that one of the leaders in the parachurch group, a man who had spent quite a bit of time working with him, was urging him to stick around and participate in the outreach event. He, the leader, says that staying around for this event is a kind of test to my commitment to Christ. Bill's friend told him, if I go home, it's like I'm making my family more important than Christ. That's an awful lot of control for one man to exert over another. Probably too much. I think we could say... Let's cut out the probably and just say too much. Because the fellow had virtually lost his freedom. He was no longer being given the right to choose his priorities and to make his plans. They were essentially being made for him. Bill told him as much and warned him he needed to rethink the relationship with this mentor. I think he's absolutely right. Obey your leaders and submit to them is a specific directed command. We're going to see here in a minute. It says, keeping watch over your souls. There's some sort of soul care or what pastors of old used to call the curing of souls. That we are caretakers of souls. We are not decision makers for church members. There's a big difference here. The text says... Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. So this is not some sort of blank statement of authority that elders have in the context of a local church in which members then have to obey everything that we have to say. However, it does carry with it a command and some sort of responsibility of church members to obey in something. What sort of obedience? Well, first, I want to give another example. This comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 12. I want you to go ahead and turn there real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 12. And I want you to see this conversation with the Apostle Paul and Apollos. Verse 12. Now, concerning our brother Apollos... I strongly urged him to visit you with all the other brothers. 
but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. You can almost see this exchange here. The Apostle Paul is not somebody that you'd say doesn't have any authority. He has clear authority. He makes decisions. He's decisive in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 in the judgment and the sexual immorality that's happening in Corinth. He wields authority. He makes commands under the authority of Christ. The Apostle Paul is somebody with unquestioned authority. When he showed up, people know, knew that he was walking with, the, with this apostolic authority. And yet in this conversation with Apollos, he didn't command Apollos to come. He urged him strongly. You can almost see the conversation. Apollos, would you please go to Corinth? They need you. I, I'm just appealing to you here. Please, will you go there to... Would you please, please just go to Corinth? And Apollos is saying, no, man, I'm not going to go. I've got stuff to do here. I'm not going, Paul. Like, that's not the right time. It's not in time. I'll get there. But I've got stuff to do here. He maintained the ability before God and men to be able to make decisions before the Lord for himself. The Apostle Paul, and this isn't a soul care issue here with Apollos, the Apostle Paul didn't have unbridled authority over Apollos. But in other situations, the Apostle Paul would make a decisive, determinative action or decision, and it was expected to be followed. And so we have to know the difference. We see clearly that pastors, elders, are keeping watch over your souls. That's our responsibility. We are to be, watch, we are to be watchmen over your souls, your spiritual life, your intake. We're to watch it, we're to guard the flock, we're to fight off the wolves, we're to do whatever we can to care for your souls. We want you to be healthy at a spiritual level. That will have physical manifestations of health in a lot of different ways as well. It'll come out externally, but we want to make sure we can do everything we can to care for your souls. So here's how this works, okay? Here's when you should obey us, and when you should obey me or any of the elders. A member comes to a pastor... You come to a pastor and you confess some particular sin. Or a pastor catches a member in a particular sin. The elder then gives a biblical plan of action that is clear and in accordance with God's word. And the church member should obey that call to action. He, should obey, he or she should obey the elder's soul care word of direction in their life. And they should obey it to a T. Here's what that looks like. You've got to, you come to me and there's some sort of sin. Here's what I say back. You've got to confess this completely. No excuse making. Don't make any excuses. You've got to lay this down. You've got to turn away from this sin. You've got to walk in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I talk to you again, I want you to know that I'm expecting you to have already walked away from that. I've expected you to made, make a decisive action in obedience to obey what I'm telling you to do right now. That would be the expectation. And your response should be, in accordance with God's word, thank you for caring for me enough to tell me what I need to hear. Thank you for loving me enough for expecting me to obey these directives. This is what we're talking about. The obedience clearly should be in accordance with a pastor who is watching over that soul biblically. There should not be any incentive. You obey and give me $1,000. Anything like that. We're talking about soul care. Now, when you think about this passage in light of other passages 
that Paul, okay, whether or not he's the author of Hebrews, I made my argument thinking it was the Apostle Paul in the beginning of the book of Hebrews, way back, you know, six years ago when we started the book. But the, but the Apostle Paul tells Timothy this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience in the teaching. Paul tells Titus, Titus chapter 2, verse 15. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. There's that authority piece. You have authority, Titus. Wield it well. You have this authority. Wield it well. Rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Let no one disregard you. It is clear in these passages then that the pastor does have, pastors do have authority in the local church. But it is a directed authority. It's not universal authority over every decision you make. Many of the decisions you make in life, I have no business talking to you about. I don't have any business at all even knowing about. Because you, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the wisdom that God has given you in His Word, through a conversation with your wife, friends, or whoever, are able to make a wise decision about something that you do. Now, if you make a foolish decision and I hear about it, and that's a pattern in your life, and I come to you and say, hey man, you've got to reevaluate the decisions you're making when it comes to finances or when it comes to these life decisions that continue to go bad, then we're talking about some sort of soul care conversation in which... You should obey and walk in wisdom rather than continuing to make foolish choices. But there is a distinction that the scriptures bring to us. I've been in many situations where I've had to say, this is what you have to do. You have to do this. It's, it's, there's no other option here. You have to do this. I've been in situations before where I thought I was going to... Any, any pastor that's been in pastoral ministry has been in situations before where they thought, they're either going to hate me, fight me, and in the conversations I've had with some people, I knew that this is a real possibility that I might get pummeled here. <laughs> I know it's shocking to think that there's people that can beat me up, but. <laughs> I've gotten there's situations that, that have been life and death before. Where to go into this situation it literally means that, that uh, I could, it's danger. It's danger. And this is the call of pastoral ministry. That's not regular. That's not often. But often, pastoral ministry requires difficult conversations. Often. That's, that happens often. Life and death situations, very few. But it happens often where difficult conversations are had to be said because we're having to reprove or rebuke or give direction with God's word. To say, hey man, this, this is what you've got to do here. And so if you ask one of our elders... For instance, hey, is this a good book? Or one of the elders finds out that you're listening to or reading something that's not good for you. And if we say, hey, listen, everything that you love about that, you can find in this resource, but without all the bones you have to spit out. Uh, everything that you're loving about this, that's great, but there's a lot of bad stuff in this as well, so you need to stop listening to that. Your attitude shouldn't be, oh, I can't believe you don't trust me. The attitude should be, Okay, I'll obey that. Because we have to give an account for God, to God, for you. This is the kind of obedience and submission that we're talking about. Elders must be willing, as stated, to be confrontational. The elder has to have hard conversations. There's no such thing as faithful pastoral ministry 
from a man that's unwilling to be confrontational. Nor is there such thing as faithful pastoral ministry from a man who's always confrontational. Members must obey the loving and biblical care and spiritual direction that they get from their elders. How easy would it be? I told you last week it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable being up here and talking to you about the authority that I have and the responsibility that you have. The authority that our elders have and the responsibilities that you have. It's an awkward thing. And yet it's a necessary thing. Members need to know that their elders will have to give an account for their life and ministry to God. This is a serious thing. James chapter 3 verse 1 says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. God promises to judge elders with a greater degree of judgment and strictness than he judges anybody else. I have no frame of reference for exactly what this means. But I know it means what it says. That means, when it comes to Judgment Day, even though I will be clothed with the very righteousness of Christ, there is a level of judgment that comes to me that will not come to you, that comes to our elders that will not come to you. God is the most scrutinous and judicious judge of elders. Please know that if we wield our authority in a way that dishonors you or dishonors God, we will not get away with that. God is an ultimate judge of the pastor. Now hear me say this in the right sort of way. God is the ultimate judge of pastors. And I'm saying elders. Elders and pastors are interchangeable here. And if he is the ultimate judge of pastors, even though you have to use discernment through the scriptures to even judge the preaching of the word, you do not have to be the judge of the pastors. You need to judge rightly, but you don't have to be the judge of your pastors. The text tells us and tells church members In verse 17, the second part, turn your attention there again. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. Let them lead, lead in such a way, wield authority in such a way, remembering that they're going to have to give an account to God. Let them have this authority and care for your souls in such a way that brings them joy. Church members are to let their pastors care for them with joy and not groaning. You have the power to make life miserable for your pastors. And I know pastors all over the country who've experienced that from congregations. They've experienced unhealthy members who have made their lives miserable. You maybe have experienced this before. It's not a caricature to say, as I've talked about before, it's not a caricature uh, scene here where churches split over a vote about a light bulb or a vote about the color of the carpet or whether to have turkey or ham at a church outing. It's not, it's not an overstatement to say that ch- some church members make the life of their pastors absolutely miserable. There's a book I read a few years ago. It was called Antagonists in the Church. And the book basically was like a case study of all these different types of antagonists. It even put like levels of antagonists at level one, two, three, four, and five. 
And the, the stories that just come out, that, that came out here, and it's crazy because you read the stories, you're like, oh my goodness, I've experienced that, that level two antagonist. I've experienced the level three antagonist. And any pastor who's been in ministry in any amount of time at all has met people like that, that they are commanded to care for, that they're commanded to love. But it is a reality that church members can make life miserable for their pastors. Now, no pastor should be groaning about the sheep he has called to shepherd. No pastor should publicly voice, even about that stage five antagonist, no pastor should be gossiping or slandering or talking ill about any member. He should be able to bear that like a man. Bear that and carry that load that God has given him to carry. But church members also want to make sure and not be that kind of church member. There's always sheep that are incredibly difficult to shepherd. And in almost every church, there are members that make their primary mission to judge the pastor in a godlike fashion. Every single thing that can be judged, any kind of critical thing that can be pulled out about the ministry of that man or life of that man, that member recognizes every single fault. And these kinds of members want elders to do exactly what they want them to do and not what God has called them to do. What God has called them to do is never enough. It's a a power family in a church that expects the pastor, because they give more than everybody else, to do exactly what that family wants them to do. They chew up pastors and they spit them out. And sometimes they can see that as a badge of honor. And this sounds like many of you are like, man, this, this sounds awful. And it's like, it is. It's awful. And as true as it is that there's a ton of terrible shepherds, we'll talk about that here in a minute. There's a ton of terrible shepherds out there. There's a bunch of bad pastors out there that don't know how to handle power. They don't know how to rightly handle the word of God. They use and abuse members. Just the same way, there's a lot of members in churches out there that chew up good men and spit them out of their mouth. Members have to hear what God says to them as elders and have to hear what God says to them as church members. Same way in marriage. Often in marriage, we'll get to this when we get a few weeks here in our marriage series. When, When I begin to preach to the wives... There is this internal impulse of all the husbands to be a prayer warrior. God, I pray she hears every word he says. Honey, oh, sorry, I got a twitch. Honey, are you hearing this? And as I begin to preach to the men, the wife, oh, God, he needs this. Praying that their husband, that her husband would hear what God has to say. And the challenge in marriage is to, okay, we can always articulate the problems of the spouse, right? I mean, dot the I's, cross the T's, here's her issues. Here's his issues. The problem is, here's my issues. Here's what I have to repent of. Here's what I need to do better. Here's, here's what I have to do. And the same thing when it comes to elders and pastors, We can preach a message like this, and if elders were to hear this, they could think, oh, that our members would be like this. Or uh, uh, churches out there, or or members could hear, oh, that our pastors are like this. And here's the deal. And pastors have to wear two hats here, both as elders and, and members, because you only are wearing the member's hat here. 
You have to hear what God says to you and obey. And we have to hear what God says to us and obey. And I'm thankful. I say this. Meaning it with all of my heart. I am incredibly. And I can speak on behalf of our elders here. We are incredibly blessed with church members who love us and let us lead with joy. I'm not saying this to pat you on the back and say there's nothing you could do better. I don't know your internal thoughts. I'm sure that that you could be better church members. But you do not cause me to groan, and you don't cause our elders to groan. Certainly we've groaned over situations that we've experienced or things that we've not understood or difficult situations or counseling settings that are difficult where we're just crying out. But it's not because you have been a thorn in our side. And I want to commend you. I'm thankful that you have loved us and loved us well. I don't feel like a pastor that feels like I need to move on every two years with people nipping at my heels. I plan on being here, Lord willing, the rest of my life. That's the plan. And so I'm thank you. I'm thankful. Now, when church members do make life miserable for pastors, when they cause them to groan, it's of no value to, to you at all. It's no value to this congregation. And watch your heart over the years that you don't become callous because the longer and longer we're together, it's like a family that gets more and more comfortable with each other. I promise you, if you don't know me enough to every once in a while be annoyed by me, you've not known me very long, all right? Amen, Amen. my father-in-law knows, right? (laughs) I promise, there'll be petty things. If there's ever any big issues, I need to be called out on that or called to the carpet on that or elders confront me about that. But at some point or another, it can be easier as you get older or or we're in doing life together to just be annoyed. And so it could be easy. We have to watch our souls that we're not easily annoyed. But you guys have not made life a life of groaning at all to me. Verse 17, the third part of the verse, says this. Keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. A groaning pastor is not good for church members. A groaning pastor groaning because church members are judging him in an unfaithful manner is not good for church members and it's not good for the pastor. It's just an unhealthy cesspool of people biting back and forth at one another. And many people who call themselves de church today or, um, yeah, the church has hurt me. It's like everybody's like, all right, walk in. Yeah, we know. Well, I've joked about that before. Everybody's been hurt by the church because we're all. A bunch of people with indwelling sin and need of a savior. And Jesus is perfect. All right, get over your hatred of the church or frustration with the church and get connected to the church. That's, that's what we do. We make it better. We, get, we help. But given enough time, we've all experienced this within a church where it's like, man, this is just really unhealthy. This is an unhealthy group of church. This is an unhealthy group of church members. It's unhealthy leaders. There's literally, it, it's like the book of uh, 1 Corinthians where Paul's like, your, your meetings do more damage than good. There's more harm than good that's happening here. We've all experienced that. And let me just tell you, out here in the world, we are incredibly blessed. There there are not, I just want to say this, there's not many healthy churches. It doesn't mean that we can't be members of an unhealthy church. You still have to be a member somewhere. But there's a lot of unhealthy churches out there. There's a lot of unhealthy pastors. There's a lot of unhealthy church members. 
There's a lot of church shoppers, and church shoppers make terrible church members because they're just waiting to continue to shop when something doesn't go their way. When churches make life miserable for their pastors, it's not good. When pastors are doing their work begrudgingly, or they're having to pray every single week, God, just give me the strength to endure these people one more week, one more day, it's not good. Pastors, statistically, are struggling in America. I want you to hear some of these stats. And then, at the end of this, here's one of my lines. So hear this, because you might be thinking, well, construction workers are struggling in America, too. And I get that. That's why here at the end, I'm going to say pastors need to be told to toughen up and not be babies. Okay? <laughs> like, pastors got to toughen up. Okay? There's a lot of things that are cush about our job, about our calling. A lot of things that are challenging, burdens that we carry that you don't. But there's a lot of things that are cush as well. My, my hands aren't calloused unless I pursue it. Okay? Listen to this. This is from George Barna. According to a recent George Barna poll, 38% of pastors have considered real and serious consideration of quitting full-time ministry. 38%. So of all the pastors surveyed in this country, these, pa- these polls are huge, and they do it from different places, not just pockets of places or one state. 38% of pastors that are employed full-time where this is their vocational work, 38 out of 100 of them are saying that, that in the last year they considered seriously considered leaving ministry in that capacity. Another poll considered the reasons why pastors want to quit the ministry. Listen to this. Why do pastors want to quit the ministry? 56% of them said because of the immense stress of the job. 43% because they feel lonely and isolated. I want to speak to pastors real quick. Church members, I said elders are making the two hat, wearing the two hats here. And in no way do I want, this is a high and holy calling. Pastoral ministry is glorious. But the burden of hearing things like, I'll be judged with greater strictness than you, or that we will be judged with greater strictness than you, knowing that it's not just the eyes of a congregation that are watching, but it's the eyes of God in a specific and particular way that are watching, is a burden to bear. Or to be in a room and to always feel responsible spiritually for everyone in the room. Wondering who's where in life, what they're struggling with. What, there's a uniqueness to that. Some of you are caring of, of people beyond your family and you, you kind of know where I'm coming from here. But pastors, when you hear the stress of the job, okay, you got to preach every week. But then you're dealing with a lot of issues that nobody sees. And so 56% of pastors want to quit because of the immense stress of the job. 43% feel lonely and isolated. Now, I've spoken to this, written to this, talked on this, done podcast on this. Pastors shouldn't feel lonely because they've bought the lie that they can't be friends with members of their church. But many pastors bought the lie that they can't be friends with members of their church because they've been hurt time and time again. And they're calloused. And it's difficult for them to be friends with people in the church because everywhere they go, they're seen as the guy that's going to pray. They're seen as the guy that's different. And a lot of times pastors are weird, right? And I'm thankful you guys treat me. You do treat me as a church member. You don't treat me different than I know of anyways. 38% say that they want to quit the ministry because of the current political divisions. 29% because they're unhappy with the effect that the ministry has played on their family. 24% because the church that they're pastoring is in steady decline. 21% 
because they don't feel respected by the congregants. 19% because they feel ill-equipped to cope with the ministry demands. All that to say, there's a lot of unwell pastors out there. It's a, it's a matter of statistical fact. There's a lot of unwell pastors out there. I'll say it again. Many of these pastors need to open their eyes to the plight of just life in general, that life is hard. Life's difficult. And the things that you face, their church members face, although pastoral ministry has its unique stresses, so does your life. So does, the, so does your work. You have stresses that I don't face. Many pastors need to understand and know that. And many pastors need to be told, square up your shoulders and carry the weight that God has called you to, to carry and toughen up a little bit. Stop whining to George Barna about how difficult your life is. Many pastors need to be told that. But many pastors do say that because their members have made their life miserable objectively you hear some of the stories that i've heard about church members and it's just amazing the amount of anger that can come to pastors from church members so members need to be told and this is what the apostle says here let them do this with joy and not with groaning that would be of no advantage to you don't be a pain to your elders <laughs> these are i don't have that much of a difficult difficulty saying that to you because again you're not be the kind of church member that make your elders proud there's like it's an honor to be your pastor and this is how i feel it's an honor to be a shepherd here um it's just an honor thank you for loving god's word and thank you for loving us i've never been in the context of a congregation where if i didn't preach something as faithfully as I could preach it, they would be angry with me. Like if, if I didn't preach something, I, I went and I preached something and I was unfaithful to God's word or light on something that the Bible was hard on or something like that, they, they, that you would be upset. Like, give us the word. And I'm thankful. So thank you. But not only am I thankful, I want to appeal to you as the writer of Hebrews appeals, we need your prayers as you need the care of your souls from pastors, members are called by God to pray for their elders. This is a sobering truth, but it's plain and clear. Verse 19, pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. Members are required by God to pray for their pastors. And this is what the this pastor, the writer, has the audacity to say this. His expectation about those in pastoral ministry that are doing pastoral ministry correctly, his expectation is that they're going to have a clear conscience. And in other words, if, if you're a pastor, it should be if the, the calling should be so high, the requirement should be so high, the character should be so evident to those that are around that pastors are men of conviction, that they're men with clear consciences. He says about himself and those elders around, that they have a clear conscience and they are desiring to act honorably in all things. And so he says, pray for us. Any pastor that cannot say that he has a clear conscience should not be in pastoral ministry. 
Any pastor that does not want to act honorably in a holistic manner in all of life should not be in pastoral ministry. Any pastor that cannot say with the apostle what he says should not be doing this work. When you have real elders, they really do have a clear conscience and they really do desire to be be honorable in all things. I want to echo this sentiment. We want to be honorable in everything we do. We want to be faithful to God's word. 2008, my world was turned upside down. You could go back to 2004 when my world was turned upside down by the grace of God. But in 2008 is when God got a hold of me about the authority of Scripture. And it was a year where my life was changing like crazy. My theology was changing. There were so many things that were happening. And this, this line really did it for me. Like It doesn't matter what I think and it doesn't matter what I feel. What matters is what God says. It doesn't even matter if I believe it or not. Me believing it doesn't make it true or not. It doesn't, you know, if you heard somebody say, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. You ever heard that before? Anybody? Okay, a few people. That's totally wrong. God says it, that settles it. It doesn't matter if I believe it or not. God says it. And my life was up, turned upside down because I, it, was, it doesn't matter what I think or what I feel when it comes to what God has to say about a particular thing. I've got to submit my feelings and I've got to submit what I think and agree that God's ways are higher than my ways. I don't have to understand everything God says, but I do have to submit to him. My life was changed. And the way we shepherd as a church, the way we pastor, we would never allow a pastor here to pastor by their own fancies. Well, this is what I think. Well, this is what I feel. If there's not chapter and verse for the decisions we make, we shouldn't be making those decisions. If there's not a chapter and verse for why we do what we do on a Sunday morning, we shouldn't be doing it. We want to shepherd according to God's word with a clear conscience. And here's the request, an honest request. Pray for us that we would finish well. You say, well, Jared, you're a young man. Well, I'm 40 this year, okay? Young is relative, right? Anybody in their 40s, young is relative, right? 50s, 60s, you know, you get older and young just keeps getting older somehow. Like 75, that's pretty young. Uh, The apostles' request is that they would pray. And if it's his request, it's got to be the elders' request to pray for us. That we would maintain a clear conscience. Pray that there would be no moral failure in my life and our pastor's lives. How many pastors that have shipwrecked their faith or fallen out of, been required to be removed from pastoral ministry because of sin failures? Because they've sinned. Pray that our conscience would be clear. Pray that our character would be in accordance with godliness. And pray that we would want to act honorably in all things. You know, again, I've been in this long enough to know, I've been in pastoral ministry since I was 24, so this is 15 years now in ministry, and in that time, I've talked with a lot of pastors, I've got connections all over the country through networks we've been a part of, it's just been, it's nothing that we pursued, it's just ended up happening where we know, know people all over the place, and I've come up with 
what I think is a biblical criteria of just the basics of what is finishing well, finish, finishing ministry well. Formal ministry, let's just say 65 years old, formal retirement age. Retirement's not in the Bible. I get that. We're going to keep working until we die. The command is work six days and rest in one day till we die. We're not formally retire. But when we formally retire, okay, formal retirement from pastoral ministry, if these things are true, I would, be, I would say, God, thank you. Okay? If I can get to formal pastoral ministry, and our elders as well, still loving Jesus, okay? not doing what Joshua Harris did. If you don't know Joshua Harris, real famous guy who kissed dating goodbye years ago and then kissed Jesus goodbye years later, unfortunately. Still love Jesus. If I get to formal retirement age and my wife still likes me, not that we love each other, we love each other, but if we're doing more than just sticking it out, we've been married for 40 years, we hate each other, but we're married. If we like each other and still like going to Mod Pizza and holding hands and sitting outside in the backyard and spending time together and watching movies and just enjoying one another, kissing every once in a while, like each other. Sorry, that embarrassed her. I'm sorry. And then that embarrassed her. Okay, stop. My wife still likes me. My kids are walking with the Lord and they respect me. Kids walking with the Lord and respect me. If I'm still making disciples and investing in people's life, and I'm still being discipled, yes, being discipled at 65, being the kind of man that says, I don't know it all, saying, I need to learn, I need to grow. And still, you can say, who's he discipling? And there's a group of guys, his children or his grandchildren or men at the church, men in the community, men that he's still discipling. I'm still discipling, making disciples. And if there's been no hidden moral failure, there's a lot of guys, Pastor Johnny Hunt, a big name in the Southern Baptist Convention, it came out that about 15 or 20 years ago he had an affair. And the only reason it was exposed is because it was exposed. It wasn't because he repented of it. He hid it for 15 years. That's not finishing well. If you just listen to the basics of this, Still loves Jesus. Wife still likes him. Kids walking with Christ and respecting him. Still making disciples and no hidden moral failures. That seems pretty. If I can just get nothing about church size. Nothing about any sort of recognition out there in the world. Nothing about that. If those things are true, if I get to that formal retirement age, it's like, God, thank you. And you know why I say, God, thank you? Because I only know one pastor, one, that meets this criteria. One. I've had pastor friends that are really successful, that have been removed from ministry. Pastors that couldn't deal with it any longer and walked away from it. And it's a sad reality. Think in your life how many pastors you've heard of that have failed, that haven't finished well. Think of how few you know that have. Why is that? What other area of life? You look at every other vocation, a vocational calling, and you see people do this for years and years, decade on end, and they do some form or variation of their work. And yet in this area of pastoral ministry, the plea that the apostle says is pray for us that our conscience would be clear and that we would seek to honor God in everything. Friends, I want to finish well. I don't want to be a statistic. And I need your prayers for that. And our elders, we don't want them to be statistics. Any of them. We want them to finish well. And we want everybody that comes into this elder team that's going to take on this responsibility, that's going to run to authority rather than run away from authority. 
and run with a holy ambition, not a selfish ambition, that's going to say, yes, I'll take responsibility for the flock of God. Yes, I'll do what God has called me to do and be committed to living and doing the word the rest of my life. Yes, I'll step into this role when God is telling me, if you do this, don't many of you do this, because if you do, you'll be judged with greater strictness, and I'll step into that. Please pray for us. The enemy hates pastors, hates pastors, and loves to take them down. And so I'm pleading with you, with the apostle, please, we need your prayers. We're desperate for your prayers, and I know many of you do pray for us. We need your prayers to endure life with joy. And here's the deal. This this apostle believes that their prayers will be effective. That their prayers will be effective. This is what he says in verse 19. I urge you all the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you sooner. He believes that included in their prayer is a prayer that he would be restored to them. That he would be able to come to them sooner. He believes that if they fervently pray that God is going to answer their prayers. And that's going to be a part of the means by which he is delivered back to them. He is believing that their prayers are going to be effective. Now here we are with you. We're here. We're not trying to get delivered back to you. But here's my belief, is you'll pray, if you'll pray for us, if you'll commit to praying for us, and if we commit to praying for you, we're going to see, we've already seen amazing things in six years. However, God gives us, however long God gives us together, we're going to see some awesome things. And we're going to have seasons where we get to look back and we'll be older together. We're going to have babies together and we're going to die together. And we're going to see God do over the decades, and some of us are going to move on, and some of, it's just we, we get the reality of life. But we're going to be able to look back and say, look what God has done. And we don't have to be that statistic. Our pastors don't have to be that statistic. Our church doesn't have to be that, that, that statistic where, yeah, there was a heyday there, and then the elders blew apart, and the members blew apart, and now it's an empty building. We don't have, that, that's not inevitable. It's not inevitable. But under our own power, that will happen. But if we'll commit to praying for one another and trust God to work, we can see God work over the decades. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. I love you, and I know that you love me. I I believe that. I love you, and I know you love our elders. Our elders love you very much, and we thank you for loving us. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your grace to us. Help us as pastors. Be obedient as pastors. Help church members to be obedient as church members. And God, as we obey, we want to see awesome things happen. God, things that we can't explain, things that are only explained by your presence and your power. It's going to be our joy to sing. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.